Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life podcast. This is episode number 173. Yo. Going negative. Uh, I, I for some reason I thought you were going to say 180. <laughs> we're not there yet. We'll be we're there. Almost, we are almost there. We're close. We'll be there before the end of the year. <laughs> we're we're um we're neck and neck with uh, the Chu Jitsu podcast. I think he's on 173. Yeah. Also, I like that guy. I think I feel like he and I would get along well in person too. Yeah. Um, so I always see his up, and I'm like, man, because I don't think ours came out this week for some reason. Or uh, I was just going to ask you, did that yeah. not happen? No, okay. no, I was, I was a little sad. So now people are going to be like, oh, <laughs> September 11th, bro. That's like a week and a half ago. Oh blah, God. blah, blah. What a fail. What an epic fail. Th- that was symbolic of my week, man. Like the exactly. week was crazy. Yeah. And uh, first of all, my bad. Oh, and worry. number two, my bad again on Saturday, man. Just like <laughs> things kept popping up yeah. and I did everything I could. Like I was trying to come up with this mastermind strategy on... <laughs> how to make things work over here yeah and so we don't miss our saturday morning training yeah and i just couldn't come up with a good solution yeah that didn't involve me being there <laughs> <laughs> so um I'm, unfortunately we had to cancel our saturday uh training i had to cancel it you were ready to go um so i can take care of some other business stuff yeah. that and sometimes I'm just like, you know what? Money's not everything. Yeah, right. I know. It's <laughs> it's so weird when you have to like actually be there to do something. And it's I feel like it's almost an affront. I'm like, oh man, I I, I failed somehow. Not that it's yeah. I like being on job sites and things like that, but to me it's like there's a schedule for that because there is my noon time. That is my training time. That is not a work time. I'm not going to have lunch with someone. I'm going to train. Yeah. And that's what we thought about today was people are always like, oh, what are the benefits of training? And oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's all well and good. But what are the bad parts about not training? I let's love it. Double negative. I yes. love it. Because there was, uh, I mean, just quite obvious. So we don't get together on Saturday to train as we usually do. Yeah. And I'll usually start off the podcast by saying something to the effect of, as usual, after we were done training, we started talking about what are some good topics to discuss on the jiu-jitsu of life. Yeah. Well, because our training did not happen, you sent me a text and you were like, hey, what do you want to talk about tomorrow? <laughs> and it just seemed like I was in this brain fog of yeah. there is no good ideas. Everything I came up with were topics that we may have covered in, in one form or fashion in the past already. Um, and that was descriptive of my entire day, really, you know, my entire day, I just felt like I was floating through it. Like once I got to that appointment that I was not happy to have to be at, but I had to be there because it got in the way of my training. Like once that was done, it was like, I was just trying to get through the day to get to Sunday. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because I didn't feel motivated. I didn't feel inspired. So I was like, um, and 
I was like, you know what, maybe we should just talk about that because yeah. you and I being in our, and I don't know if this is true um, in the twenties, like in my twenties, I felt like whether I train, whether I don't train, I was all systems go all the time, yeah. all gas, no brakes, 24 <laughs> seven. Um, but uh, that is not the case in my forties. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I definitely need training to have that not just physical edge but now i'm starting to see it keeps me mentally young it keeps me mentally sharp yeah you know yeah yeah it's um i think there is definitely something to doing active physical problem solving because you get really up in your head when you're just working in front of a computer or doing something that's more non-physical which is a lot of people you know, a lot of people all day long, it's in front of a computer, they're shuffling papers, they're not necessarily physically doing something. And I think a big benefit of something like jujitsu is not only is it exercise and yada yada, but it's also the mental part. And when you're further, like sort of a little bit further down the road, like we are, and you're training with a lot of the same people, it's like a nuclear warfare thing because it's like, oh, man, this guy stopped this last time. So how do I either get back to that same technique or what is available with them stopping this one thing? And I found that was striking, too, you know, where it's like I'm like, OK, keeps hitting me with this. Like, what's what's vulnerable? Why am I getting hit here or whatever might happen? And when you start analyzing the training and figuring out what to do the next time, like, number one, you're getting something way beyond the physical benefit of the training because you're looking back at it you're analyzing it and if you're videoing it you're studying tape and learning how to learn that way but even more so you're like oh i'm gonna get this dude next time with this because he thought he did this and i'm gonna do this and then he was gonna do this i'm gonna do that boom and <laughs> it might work in which case the other guy's like oh, oh, oh he got me that time but now i'm gonna do this 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 and this and when he does this i'll do that and then I'll do this, boom. So it goes back and forth and back and forth endlessly till you go full cycle. So now the thing that you used to do that worked, that stopped working like six moves ago, starts working again because they forget all Unless about Unless you're low, then I, I only see one move ahead. Not true. So it's, uh, on a good day, I, if I have my coffee early in the morning, I might see two moves ahead. <laughs> but, that, but once I hit that second move, that's it. That's, it's, it's, it's either win or lose. That's, I, I, but I think that's okay. I think that's good. But... It's just, you know, I think you, when you have that sort of in ingrained in your life and ingrained in your schedule, it bleeds over other things. And that, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this lately because I'm working on uh, commercial project number two now. So I'm starting to yep. build the team together and I'm being realistic. And I'm almost everybody I'm working with right now, not that I'm saying they'd listen to this podcast, but should they listen to this podcast? Guess what? You're on the chopping block. <laughs> because I'm getting ready for everybody. Yeah, and not firing. I'm just, to me, it's like there's a difference between firing because that's, that's, and I've fired a lot of people, but that's more mid-project. That's something that's so egregiously wrong we can't continue versus there's a lot of people where it's like you work with them on a few things and then it's like I'm going to do more things, but I'm not going to do them with you. So yeah. that's kind of how I look at it with a lot of that. And I'm I'm realizing that in life and in jujitsu, more and more, I'm trying to be very deliberate with the action I take when I see the opportunity and have no hesitation. Like I've been working on that in my jujitsu a lot. That idea of like, okay. like 
for instance, like the arm drag standing up, like I've been working that. So it's like, it's there, boom, I'm hitting it, taking it, boom. With business, I'm looking at the idea of, I kept saying in my head, I've got to wait till this other project is done and then I'll do this and I know what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought about it last week. I'm like, why am I waiting? Like, it's still going to be months before we start building. Um, it looks like this other thing, regardless of, of where this other one is, I'm still going to build on this other lot. Why am I waiting? And more than that, I know the changes I want to make, which means new personnel, which means I've got to make more relationships, build rapport, do all the things, start doing it now. So I started last week. You already know that the best way I learn is to constantly interrupt you. Yeah. Uh, mid-sentence <laughs> when I have questions. I, I never like let it. you finish. No, no it's good. Uh, but also to play devil's advocate. Sure. You and I are like 99 I mean we 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 are usually thinking the same things yeah. Uh, yeah. throughout the day but I also like to play devil's advocate because I want a deeper understanding of of why you think a certain way yeah and is there any is there a time when it's not a benefit to take action when it is more of a benefit to wait and to yeah. be because some people would call waiting just being patient for the right yeah. time it, it is a so I, I think it's a it is always a judgment call, but yeah, I agree with you. And, and I didn't do there was a lot of stuff I did not do um, over the last couple of months. There was deals I passed on. There was stuff that this other project I've had this I've had this land since June, so I've been waiting. It's now you know towards the end of September, so I've, I've had it for about three months. So, so it oh, you had already you already acquired the land. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just waiting. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I got to wait till this one is totally done. And now I'm realizing that I just don't think that's necessary on this. Because I think it's important to put into context because it almost like if somebody listens, they're making it, it might sound like you were being impulsive, like, what am I waiting for? But yeah. I think there was a lot more strategy involved and a lot yeah. more thinking involved where you said, well, what am I waiting for? Right? Yes. Like, yeah. After because you, after you went through everything. Right. Because the reality is, I'm just seeing that I'm like, okay some of these guys that I'm using, I'm like, there's, I'm not working with these guys again. Like where, where I have to ask every single day, have you found out about this thing? No, like, like over and over and over again on, these are not, in my opinion, cheap jobs. You know, when I'm paying somebody 60, 80, a hundred thousand dollars to do something, this like putting me off, like I'm trying to like go hang out with them and they don't, they're too cool for me or, or whatever it is, like this weird, like off-putting thing. I'm like, no, that's just not happening again. And to me, like when I realized that, I'm like, okay, so I need to start building up better relationships, better people to work with. I need to start doing that now because as much as you could be waiting for you know long periods of time, but it doesn't mean that just because you're not doing the actual physical something doesn't mean that you're doing nothing. And what I mean by that is that you know, it may be another four months before we start construction, but I need to build in into place, you know, with civil engineers and, and, you know, mechanical electric plumbing engineers and all these different people. I need to build up a team that I think I can use for a long period of time so I can start doing more jobs so we can do, start doing stuff further away. So, so meeting with builders that are like, okay, yeah, if we've got a good client that we, we have a good relationship, we've gone as far as Kansas before to do stuff. So, you know, that idea of, well, why can't I be bigger? Why can't I be in more spots? Right now, it's because I have to spend all this time making sure all these little things are done. And I'm like, I don't, 
want to continue doing business that way. I want to find better people that are going to make sure that stuff is done, even if I have to pay them more money, because then I can start doing more things. Then I can start bringing in outside investors on potential projects. If I know I've got a great team, I know they do what they say they're going to do. That means I can do what I say I can do. Because if I brought in an investor on this thing, either I would be at the bottom of the river right now with some cinder blocks, or I would have bought the investor out, or I would be apology. I would be on an apology tour every day because all this stuff that I thought was going to happen didn't happen. Now, granted, and, and, it's yeah, and that's a big that's that's an important concept right there. It's a reoccurring concept, but it's one that I want I really want to highlight for anyone who's in business. People don't buy from who's best; they buy from who they trust. Especially yes. when it comes to people giving you their money. When you're trying to raise capital, raise money, and you're trying yeah. to do that type of thing, you have to have a reputation. Yes. Right. Of being able to do what you say you're going to do. There's Naval Ravikant. He talks about Warren Buffett. He says Warren Buffett could go broke today, but tomorrow people would happily give him their money yeah. because he has a reputation, a history of being trustworthy when it comes to managing other people's money and yeah. giving them a return on a consistent basis. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I love what you said about these subs can actually, through no fault of your own, right? Yeah. Damage your reputation. Absolutely. And damage you in the face of yes. like having to go to investors and give them updates and say, hey, we're not where we're supposed to be on the project. They're not going to want to hear, well, it's because of the sub. You know, he can't do his job because yeah. all they're going to do is turn it around back on you and say, well, it's probably because you're not doing your job. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so it's, um, you know, when I started thinking about it that way, it just made sense to immediately jump in to start meeting the people I needed to meet, kind of forging those relationships, and then really figuring out a bigger plan too in terms of, you know, where do I see this going in the next five to ten years? You know, what what is the overall plan with all this? Because the first one is sort of just to see, okay, can I do this? And now it's been a year. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do this, but I know I can do this better than it's being done, and that went from being very frustrating, a lot of profanity, a lot of me coming to a site that is one of the most painful things for me to see, Mr. Siddiqui. Uh -huh. That's an empty job site on a weekday. Oh, boy. Oh, oh I boy. hate an empty job site on a weekday because that's Especially when there's no reason. Like yes. there's no inclement weather. No. There's, two, there's there. two things that does. Number one, makes me very angry because it's two, two things that it costs me. Number one, I have to hear excuses as to why. And number two, it costs me money. That's what people don't, I think, understand is that, you know, when you're borrowing money on something, literally every day is costing you hundreds or thousands of dollars that something is just sitting there. And these people that you pay money to, most of the time, they don't really care because you've paid them a certain amount of money, unless it's a, a fine company like Nice Guy Painting or something like that, where <laughs> you know somebody has to sign off on everything and do all these different things before Nice Guy will actually take a check because they're, they're nice. They're nice guys. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, they'll take a whole hefty sum, they'll do a little bit of work, and then they'll go do work on another project and another one, and eventually they'll get back to yours. And so a big thing that I'm trying to figure out is how do I become the guy that they go to first? What do I do? Is that a thing of bribery? Is that a thing of intimidation? Like, which way do I play this? And that's, or is it, or is it just basically none of those? 
I hire the right person that is giving those guys so many jobs that if they don't show up on his job, they know they're screwed. And then I just figure out how to make that guy, make me that guy's top priority, just that one guy. Maybe that's the solution. I don't know. And that's the thing. That's try. Is, I think that is the solution. I think the solution would be finding the Warren Buffett yeah. of general contracting in your field. Yeah. There is a guy out there that yeah. has a reputation, that has developed trust, that yeah. has a, a history of doing what he says he's going to do. Now, it's rare. Yeah. But because he's rare, he's going to cost more money. Yes. But 100% it's worth paying I'm okay with more that. money. I'm okay 100%. with that. 100%. Yeah. And it's funny, man, the lessons that – here's another thing about kind of going back to our topic about the, the dangers of not training. One thing that I really think is a danger about when you don't train jujitsu, striking, anything like that for a certain amount of time, you start forgetting some of the lessons that you've learned. You might think you remember them. Like, let's just take, I'll just say training with like Doc Snow or, or boxing with you. I'll take boxing with you because you're here. There you are. Um, <laughs> you're very fast. You're very deceptive. I know this in my head, but we haven't boxed for a little while. So the next time that we box, the first couple times you hit me, I'm going to be like, oh, God, I forgot how fast he is. I forgot how he's leaning here. And I'm like, he's going to be, oh, he hits me over here. And that happens. And if we box together more, like I'll start figuring that out a little bit or whatever. But those little things about timing, about the things that your training partners do uniquely well, you may sort of remember on a certain level, but your body forgets to a certain level. Like your body starts slowing down. Like when you're training with them all the time or you're training a lot, things are sharp. But when you stop, you start losing some of that timing and that feel and things like that. And to me, that's a very dangerous thing to be in any sort of, if you're training for any sort of self-defense or anything like that, because you may end up in a position where you're not as good as you think you are. And I think that is the most dangerous position to be in self-defense. I knew a lot of guys growing up that were way more confident about their fighting skill than they should have been. Like, I, I don't, I can't imagine going through life being as confident as they were and as bad mm -hmm. of a fighter as they were. That so was weird. anybody who ever wore a tap out shirt mm -hmm. or an affliction shirt. Yeah. If you wore one of those shirts at any point of your life, you were probably a guy that has never trained, yeah. <laughs> but was very confident in your ability to kick anybody's yes. butt. Yes. <laughs> and, and so, so how I'm, I'm tying this in with the contractor thing is all this idea about paying for quality and finding those great people where you can have relationships with them long term. I actually learned that lesson in residential. I still got the best guy that's ever worked for me, a guy named Yamil. He's from Cuba. And first time he did a job for me was maybe 13 years ago at this point, long time. And he's done a lot of jobs for me. And he's never been the cheapest guy, but he's always been the best and he's always been the most reliable. And he's done a bunch of jobs on our house where it's literally like we're going on vacation. I'm like, lock boxes in the, in the mailbox. This is what we need done. I come back and it's done. And everything's put back perfectly and everything. It's like, it's like he was never there, only all of a sudden like you snap your fingers and you know the, the deck is painted or, or whatever it might be. Like he's amazing. He's so good. And I realized like after dealing with all these other like type of things where I got to show up and see if they're there or like the guy's like, well, I was going to go, but my parole officer, I don't want to end up back in prison and then, or like people that are saying like, oh yeah, I can do that. And I start watching them like, 
you clearly never laid sheetrock before. Like whatever it is they say and they watch Watching the YouTube video as he's yeah, doing exactly. it on he's how to video and he's doing this. So yeah, it's just it's one of those things that when you start dealing with that long enough, it's like, man, whatever money you think you're saving by being cheap, you're probably not because you're spending that in extra stress, extra time. And then just the fact that the thought of doing another job with an incompetent group is sometimes so overwhelming that you just don't want to do anything. You know what I mean? Can I say something? You just yeah. hit the nail on the head. And this is another one important lesson in business that I didn't learn for a very long time. And I still fall into the trap every once in a while. But attempting to go cheap is always, almost always more expensive. I think Going so cheap is almost always more expensive yes. in the end. Yes. Yeah. And it, and it's it's just to me like a kick in the kick in the ass, like looking at that, realizing I learned this lesson like 12 or 13 years ago, and yet I just repeated it in new construction. Because, you know, for me, you know why I repeat that that mistake is because I always feel I feel like I'm a very lucky person. And I think a lot of people that are successful in business walk around with that feeling of being very fortunate, very lucky, yeah. you know, and I always feel like I'm going to get lucky this time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to get a really great deal at a really great price, yes. you know, and I'm going to find this unicorn. And I think I just need to, you know, at this point say, you know what, that doesn't exist. The unicorn does not exist. Yes. You get what yes. you pay for. Yes. And that's, I think, again, we go back to training. Like most, since the UFC has been around, we're talking coming up on 30 years. It's coming up on its 28th year anniversary in November. And so there have been thousands and thousands of mixed martial arts fights, tens of thousands probably that have happened over the last 28 years. So you see the things that work in essentially real fighting, as close to real fighting as you're going to get. So when you're training consistently, you're seeing the things that are actually working. And, and that could be, you know, jujitsu, that could be MMA, whatever it is, you're, you're seeing those things. When you get away from training, you can start getting ideas in your head on things that are going to work that probably aren't going to work. And the longer you stay away from training or when you're training with people that are really, really not challenging you and you're not putting yourself in, in real positions to be challenged, you can start going in a very alternate reality. I mean, I've seen jujitsu instructors do this where they're, you know, they're way bigger than their students and they're better and they maybe they scare their students a little bit. And I watch these instructors literally start making up BS techniques like right on the spot. And I'm like, you've never done this before. You're completely making this up, but because no one's going to speak up and no one's going to do whatever, it starts turning into that. So I think that the reality check that training gives you is important. And that's why, I mean, Kevin and I talk about this a lot, like why we train with Doc Snow, because a lot of people that have, you know, we're all friends and they're, they're still like, I don't know why you train with that dude. I'm like, why? They're like, because it's always the same thing. And it's like a horror movie that you just keep watching over and over again, hoping maybe maybe this time they get away from Freddy. No, they don't. No, it gets them again. <laughs> why do you think it's going to be different? It's just the same movie. I don't know. I'm going to watch it again and find out. I mean, but but I but he and I, I think, because Kevin and I are such sadists or something like that, it's like you need to be constantly reminded of how bad it can be of how bad that pressure is, of that sort of reality check of that. Because as much as you might think in your head, like, oh yeah, I know how bad it is, you start forgetting. You start forgetting that it's- And you know what, Parker, not 100%, and not doing that 
would be the metaphor for going cheap. Yes, exactly. When you don't, exactly. When you don't put yourself into bad positions, yeah. when you try to learn jujitsu from YouTube and not from real world experience by yep. uh, training with people that are really good and then really trying to figure out the technique on them, yeah. that is going cheap. And yes. it always will turn out to be more expensive in the long run. Yes, yes. And it's funny. So another situation I can think about that was um, about 10 years ago, my wife and I moved back to California for a couple of years. And I was very confident slash cocky that I was going to be impressive in jujitsu and impressive in business. Because in my mind, I had been both in Austin. And I was neither. And the the business one is the one that, that hurt more, I think, because I, I really, I, I, for various reasons. But I got so enmeshed in the idea that I did things a certain way in Austin, therefore I will just do them the same way in Southern California and it'll work out. And because I wasn't honest with how the whole process of what I was doing in, in Texas had evolved, I just sort of stopped that mentality of evolution and trial and error and seeing what's actually working and just started blaming California for sucking. <laughs> and it was a very like kind of be dark, 100% wrong. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it kind of does suck, but, <laughs> but it was, kidding. but a lot of it was my fault. And a lot of it was really not just, just being honest and being like, okay, this doesn't work here, but there's gotta be other things that are similar or something else that I can figure out or whatever. But I put so much of my identity in like, no, this is what I'm doing that um, I was very stubborn and it just continued to not work very well. And then we finally moved back to Texas. Um, in hindsight, I think I sort of lost out on a good lesson of understanding the adaptiveness of life and, and, and understanding like if something's not working, there's probably other opportunity that you're walking over, passing by or not seeing because you have blinders on. And using that analogy with training, it's like you can work on certain things, but there's also the reality that be it striking, grappling, whatever, there are opportunities that are there that if you're so focused on certain techniques, you're going to miss. And the problem with that is that by doing that, you miss what's there. You sort of miss the reality of the situation. And ultimately, you shortchange those main techniques because if you're trying your main thing and something else is available, we'll take that. Well, sooner or later, they're going to start counting that something else. A lot of times your main technique is going to be available again. It's the most sadique. I'm going to do a little pawing left. I'm going to do a right down to the body. You're going to get used to that. And you're going to get clenched <laughs> in. And all of a sudden, he's going to come over top of that left hook. And you're going to hurt your back as you flatline your face. <laughs> on the ground. You it's know why? And that is exactly why I love Silver Fox. Yes. Because I think he really has that type of style. Yeah. I have seen jujitsu people, and I myself have been one of them, where I learn a technique from YouTube. Yeah. And in my head, I have to make that technique work. Yes. And so it's the equivalent of trying to fit a square peg in a round hole when yep. you're rolling. It's yep. not working. So you're trying to force the technique, force the technique, and you probably end up in a worse position. Uh, the You go home feeling like a complete failure. And in reality, when you were trying to work that technique, there were so many opportunities that presented themselves where you could have got a better uh, better position or even another submission. And yeah. that's really why I like the Silver Fox Jiu-Jitsu. Sure. It's because he's the type of guy that doesn't uh, have his blinders on. He's yes. not 
he doesn't go into the role saying, I'm going to tap you with this. Yeah. It's wherever the role leads him to. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's, that actually is a good way of looking at, at business and different opportunities because, you know, I'm, I'm about halfway done that Kirk Kerkorian book that I gave you, which dude, you're going to like this book. You're going to like this book a lot. There's a is lot the, of, is that the gambler one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're really going to like it because it's there. You got a lot of in common with this guy. And, um, <laughs> is he going to end up in prison? <laughs> he does not. Okay. So there, so there's hope for you yet. Yeah, no, um, um, <laughs> um, one thing that I, I like about it is, you know, you're seeing a successful guy starting from nothing, becoming a billionaire and, he didn't put all his eggs in one basket. It was like he he had different things that he did from film studios to casinos to airlines. And they were sort of different parts of his life that he was like, oh, I see a demand for this. Like, okay, he's, he's buying used airplanes after World War II for cheap, figuring out ways to get them to the rest of the world. And because he knows about planes, he was a pilot, he repaired planes. He could, he's basically flipping planes. So he's like, oh, I'm going to buy this one in Hawaii. I'm going to get it to Rio de Janeiro where I know I've got a buyer where I can make, you know, a 80% markup on this thing. And, and he would start doing that. And then it was like, people were like, well, you know, really wish there was planes that went from here to here. He's like, well, I'm a pilot. I can fly you. And he starts doing a charter thing and then gets real busy. I hire another friend. I guess we just created an airline. Why don't we do that? You know, and like, it's just <laughs> the idea of, of being flexible with your mind, seeing where the opportunities are and, and to to get more specific on the California thing, I was doing what you and I have both done, which was I was flipping mobile homes. I was buying mobile homes in parks and reselling them with seller finance and stuff like that. That was not a good business there. But what I failed to acknowledge so stubbornly, in hindsight, I wish I had not, was in order to seller finance stuff, I had to get my mortgage, my real estate um, broker's license. So I was a, a California real estate broker for like four years to get my mortgage loan originator's license. So it was this whole process, right? But there were very few realtors that knew anything about mobile homes, but there were a few. And I noticed that one of the big differences between Southern California and Central Texas is that even mobile homes and mobile home parks, a lot of people would sell through a realtor. I should have just become one of those realtors. There, there was a lot, like these guys were making five, 10 grand a home which would have been great. You don't have to put any money into it. Or if I do, like whatever, I could have given advice. I had already sold a lot of homes. There was a lot of opportunity, but because I was so like, oh, I'm just doing this, I'm just doing this. I ran myself ragged. I would drive six, seven hours a day just to go look at deals or set things up. Because in your head, you're like, I'm not a, I'm not a realtor. I'm an yeah. investor. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it was, you know, I was already a broker too. I could have hired more realtors. I could have done all these different things. And instead I decided to be a whiny little bitch about the whole thing. And, you know, in hindsight, it's, it's kind of embarrassing because there was the opportunity literally staring me in the face. And because I was decided oh, I'm not that versus I think the true entrepreneur or the true jujitsu silver Fox style master says, okay, well, this isn't working, but this is this looks like an interesting opportunity. Let me try this because the reality is, you know, when you, you are a realtor or whatever it might be, it doesn't mean you can't buy a home anymore. It doesn't mean they're not banned. They're not going to chop your hands off or something like that. It's just in, in many ways, it actually gives you more opportunities. So um, and just because you have someone in split guard and yeah. you can't get the arm lock 
doesn't mean you can't transition to the Oma Plata. That's true. Because we're in a do? nice little triangle. They got to twist that arm to get out of that thing. You don't have to twist their arm to get in an Oma Plata. They twisted it for you. They twisted it for you. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. the mic drop, brother. That yeah. was such that good sense. stuff today. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, I love it. I learned a lot myself. Me to too. re-listen to this episode or to check out our past episode, which we will probably drop today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, my man. I'm sorry. It's okay. Check out the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. You'll be able to re-listen to this episode or check out our past episodes. Um, shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. We make custom geese. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Check them out. Uh, check out Jiu-Jitsu on the Go with Steve Fordensky. Uh, check out, who else are we? Uh, Sneaky Caleb Submissions Calista. with Caleb Callista. Yeah. Make sure we, we, uh, we, check, we check him out. He has some great technique. And um, if you're in the Austin area, Gordon Ryan, check out uh, Chaparral yeah. Moving. They have moving down to a science. You don't want to move those mats yourself. No. Yeah. Get you're the king. Come on. Yeah, you're the king. You're the king. Um, no, these guys have the moving, moving down to a science. They've done all my moves, and, uh, and they're great. Uh, as always, I'm Mo, that's Carter, and we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the map. Thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Rulebliss newsletter to get the exclusive content at rulebliss.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat. <laughs>